Uh, last week we uh, finished our Numa series talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about uh, all the different things with the Holy Spirit. One thing here at Generation Church, what we do is after every series this year, we are going to have what we call a Generation Essentials. And what a Generation Essentials is, is we talk about some of the essential things that you need to know uh, about being a follower of Jesus Christ. So back in November, we had our first Generation Essentials and we learned all about community and how it's essential to be in community, why we come to church on a Sunday morning, um, and uh, why we gather together. Uh, And then uh, um, uh, about six weeks ago, uh, we had a a talk, and there was uh, Ken, our worship leader, and myself up here, and we talked about worship and why worship is so important, about why we sing songs here on a Sunday morning and uh, and all that. And I just, uh, I've really been enjoying these Generation Essentials, and so today, we're going to talk uh, about the third area of discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is where it may get a little harder for you, because we're going to talk about the subject of evangelism today. And uh, a lot of us, uh, we, we don't kind of like that subject because it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Um, uh, but I'm going to put it a different way. Instead of evangelism, we're going to tell our story. How many of you here, you like stories? Put your hand up. So good, good. Not all of you like stories, but I'm sure most of you like stories because there is power in a story. When you were a child, I bet you liked stories. Now, today's children like get on the iPad or they get in front of the TV and they watch stories on, uh, on the TV or, or online. But when you or myself, we were children, we didn't have so many luxuries. So I bet we opened books and we read books and our parents read books to us. Remember what that was like? like to read a book. And uh, we had books that we read. And one of my favorite books that I read as a kid, I, I didn't like to read much, but I used to always love to read this book. It was a book called Flat Stanley. And uh, this book was all about this, uh, this young boy called Stanley Lampchop. And he had a younger brother called Arthur. And his dad had this bright idea one day that he was going to buy him and his brother a bulletin board. And what they did, they put the bulletin board above Stanley's bed and they hung it so they could attach like posters and pictures and things like that in their room. Well, one night while Stanley was sleeping, suddenly the bulletin board fell off the wall. It fell on top of Stanley and it flattened Stanley. Stanley was no longer a 3D, 4D person. He was now a 2D person. And so he was totally flat. And uh, uh, he actually survived, which was amazing. Um, And so what happened? He woke up and he was flat. And suddenly he started to embrace his new identity. And what he would do, he would uh, be able to get into uh, locked doors because he would slide under the door. Um, One time he was playing with his brother and he became a kite and his brother flew him as a kite. Another time uh, he went to see his overseas friend and instead of getting on a plane, he just folded him up into a letter and he mailed him to his friend. I mean, that's a cheap way of getting overseas, right? And then the most famous thing that Flat Stanley did or Stanley Lambchop was he actually uh, 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 caught some museum um, thieves because he became a pitcher in the museum, and he caught these thieves. Eventually, Stanley decided that 
he had had enough of being flat. I don't know about you, but I'd kind of have enough of being flat. So he said to his brother, we got to solve this. So his brother went up to him. He got a bicycle pump. He blew up Stanley, and he was back to normal. I'm like, when I read that, I was like, that's what I want to do to my brother. I want to blow him up with a bicycle pump. <laughs> Sounds good, right? So, so I love this book, and, and you know, I just tore into it and, and read it all the time. Looking back, it was a pretty lame book, and uh, it wasn't a very good story at all. But I liked it. But, but there are two elements in every successful story. And the two elements are this, tragedy and redemption. Tragedy and redemption. Something bad that seems to cause pain and destruction that is now followed by salvation, rescue, or something good happening to someone. We see it in novels, we see it in movies, and we see it in life. We, we love stories where something bad has happened, but something good comes out of the bad. We love stories, especially true stories. I was watching a movie the other day that, that I, I was just engrossed in. It was called Captain Phillips, and it was played by Tom Hanks. And it was about this guy who had been uh, kidnapped by some uh, hijackers uh, on the Somali coast. And it was great. I watched the movie, and then I watched a bunch of documentaries about it because I love true stories. And the reason we like true stories, I think, so much is because we can imagine ourselves in the same position, we, we can relate to those people because each of us have our own stories as well. And being a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, then you have your own story. You are on the road to tragedy. You are on the highway to hell. You were on a road of destruction. Sin had gripped your life, sin had taken control of your life, then redemption came in the form of a savior. His name was Jesus, and he changed the course of your life and gave you eternal life. And that is your story if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have a story, but the story is one of tragedy not one of redemption. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have a story, it's one of tragedy, but it's also one of redemption as well. You know, there was a story in the Bible and it was found in John chapter 4. And it basically goes like this. Jesus went to a place called Samaria. Samaria was, was, was north of, uh, of Israel, of Jerusalem, and it was not socially acceptable for pure Jews like Jesus to go to Samaria. Because the people who lived in Samaria were called Samaritans, and Samaritans were religiously unclean people according to the Jewish faith. And so for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, it was not socially acceptable to, uh, sorry, for Jesus to go to Samaria, it was not socially acceptable for him to do that. Next thing we see in the story, Jesus goes to a well, which is in the center of the village there, and he starts to draw water from the well because he is thirsty. This also is not socially acceptable because in those days, the men were not to draw water from the well. It was a woman's job to draw water from the well. I don't know where they got that one from, but anyway. So Jesus started to draw water from the well. 
And then this woman comes to the well to draw water. And we see that Jesus starts to engage in conversation with this woman. And it was unacceptable for this because a man in that time did not speak to a woman alone in public unless that woman was his wife. And so Jesus was alone here with this woman at the well. And it was socially unacceptable. Furthermore, this woman was just not any average woman. This woman was not a known adulterer. She had had many marriages. And now she was living with some guy who was not her husband. And she was a social outcast. So now Jesus was doing things that were socially unacceptable with a woman who was a social outcast. Jesus did what he was not supposed to do. He engaged in a conversation with this woman. And then he starts to tell this woman her own story. He starts to tell this woman the things that she has done in this life. And where she is at in her life right now. And she is amazed. Because Jesus starts telling her her own story. In that moment... She suddenly discovered who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. Her life was radically changed. And suddenly from that day forward, this story of tragedy became a story of redemption. Her story was changed for good because she met Jesus. And we're going to pick up this story towards the end of the story. And it's found in John chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up at verse 27. So Jesus just had this conversation with this woman. He's told her the story. She's amazed at Jesus, at what he has said. Her life is suddenly now radically changed. And it says this. Just then, his disciples, that's Jesus' disciples, came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Remember, it was socially unacceptable to do that. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Because most people who would talk to a woman by themselves in open in those times, there was a reason why they wanted to talk to that woman, and they were not pure reasons. So they, they, no one had the nerve to ask Jesus what, they, what he wanted with her. Why are you talking to her? And then verse 28 says this, The woman left her water jar beside the well, And ran back to the village telling everyone. Then it says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Then it says this. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So this woman, she's gone to the well to draw water Suddenly she finds Jesus. Jesus has changed her life. Now she doesn't even care about the water. The water is like a secondary thing. Now she's like, I've got to go and tell everybody about this man that I met at this well. I've got to tell everybody about the Messiah. An amazing thing happened that day. We see that everybody knew who this woman was. They knew she was an adulterer. And she went from the well and she ran and she told everybody. And immediately everybody started coming to see Jesus. Then let's carry on with the story. In verse 
39, it says this. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. They believed now who Jesus was. Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came to see him, they begged Jesus to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said this. They said to the woman, now we believe, believing in Jesus, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, and now we know he is indeed the Savior of the world. So the amazing thing that happened, everybody knew this woman's tragic story. They knew she was an adulterer. They knew that she had had multiple marriages. They knew she was an outcast. And they knew the tragic part of her story. But now before their eyes, they started seeing the redemption part of her story. And through this one story alone, a whole village started finding the redemption story of their own. They started to discover that they had a story that was tragic. And now Jesus had come and turned it into a story of redemption. Why? Because there is power in a story. There is power in a story. And when you start to tell your story... There is power in that story. And if you study the gospel books, you will find that the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that they were filled with stories of tragedy. And then Jesus shows up, and then there is redemption. There's tragedy. Jesus shows up, and then there is redemption. You see, there's the blind who are blind. Jesus shows up, and now they start to see. There's the lame who can't walk. Jesus shows up and they start to walk. There's the deaf that can't hear and Jesus shows up and they start to hear. There's the terminally ill who are on their deathbed. Jesus shows up and suddenly they are made whole and they are healed of their disease. There is the demon possessed who Jesus shows up and delivers them. There's the hungry that Jesus shows up and feeds them. There's the fearful who Jesus shows up and brings peace and understanding. And then there's even the dead who are like stinking. And Jesus shows up and they have new life and they start to breathe life again. For Jesus shows up in their lives and their lives are turned around. And every one of these that Jesus changed their life, this is what happened. They started to tell other people about their story. They didn't keep it for themselves. Sit down while Jesus did this amazing thing in my life and they kept it themselves. No, we see that immediately they went and told everybody else about what Jesus did in their lives. And I ask you today, are you a storyteller? Are you a storyteller? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, then you are required to share your story. It's what evangelism is. It's being able to tell your story and share your story with others. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Some of you, for those of you who are here through our Numa series, you know this verse because we studied it a lot. But it says this, it says, 
in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then he says this, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The very first thing as a storyteller that the Bible commands us to be is that we are to be a witness. We are to be a witness. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't tell his disciples, you will be my lawyers. You will be my judges. He says that you will be my witnesses. He uses the term witnesses. You know, about, about 12 years ago now, I was in England. I was driving down a road, and suddenly this city bus came out of a side road, went right through a stop sign, and plowed right into the side of me. And it was pretty obvious whose fault it was. It was the bus driver's fault. He even admitted fault. And we took pictures and everything. I reported it to my insurance company. And over the course of the next few months, my insurance company paid for my car to be repaired. And uh, they gave me a loan car. Everything got sorted out. Then they wrote me a letter and they said that the bus company is not taking liability. The bus company is saying that it was your fault because you were going too fast, which I probably was. But anyway, that's regardless. And so suddenly they started getting these lawyers involved. And uh, I was good because I'd been paid, my car was repaired. But the insurance company wanted to get their money back from the bus company. And so they got these lawyers involved. And then I got a summons and I had to go to court about a year later because the insurance company had taken the bus company to court to get their money back. And so I arrived that morning, and uh, uh, the, the lawyer came to see me of the insurance company, and we talked through, and they ba- she basically said this. She goes, all I want you to do is just tell your version of events, nothing else. So I went in there, and we went into the courtroom, and it was a small courtroom. All there was there was there was a judge, there was uh, the lawyer of the insurance uh, company, there was myself, there was the lawyer for the bus company, and then there was the bus driver. And I was given the evil eye, you know. I'm like, why you brought me here? But, uh, but anyway, and so he started to tell his version of events. And the lawyer on their, 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 uh, their side started to try to ask me questions and stuff like that. And the judge basically stopped him and she said, I want to hear from this young man. What is your story? What happened? So I started to tell my story of exactly what happened. I was driving down the road. There was no way I could have been speeding because there was speed bumps and stuff. And I was just coming and he just plowed into the side of me. I had pictures of the stop sign and everything like that. And I just told my version of events. And as soon as I finished, the, the judge looked at the lawyer from the bus company and she said, why did you even bring this to court? She goes, you've wasted my time. You've wasted the insurance company's time, and you've wasted this young man's time. And she threw it out, and she ordered that they pay the insurance company uh, monies, and, uh, and I got my deductibles back, and I was happy. But it all came from me just sharing my story. I wasn't the lawyer. I didn't have to convince the judge about anything. I didn't have to go through the, the rules of law with her. I just had to share because I was a witness in that event. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying that we should be. We should be witnesses. 
We're not lawyers. We're not there having to convince people about God. We're not there. We have to have a 12-point argument to convince someone that Jesus is real. If you've been in church for a while, then you've probably been on some courses or been in some classes about how to evangelize, how to convince someone that there is a God, that God is real, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is really who he says he is. You may have even been given some tracts to give to people and things like that. And I ask you this morning, how much success does the argumentative approach have in reaching people for Jesus Christ? I know that you have never reached anyone for Jesus Christ with having a debate or an argument. Never. But this is what I've discovered. When I start to tell my story as a witness about what Christ has done in me, suddenly it opens people's hearts and they start to see Jesus. You know, 1 John chapter 2 tells us this, that Christ is our advocate, our lawyer before God. He will go before God and convince us that we are right with God because of what he has done. And then Jesus told us this. He says that the Holy Spirit is, the, is Christ's advocate, Christ's lawyer with people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. He will be the one who will convince people that Jesus Christ is real. And our role as just believers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, is to be a witness. To tell our version of events. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and tell everybody what you saw. What you experienced. And there is no better person to tell others what Christ has done in your life than you. I can tell others about what Christ has done in your life. But it has not the same effect as if you tell others what God has done in your life. So we are to be witnesses. Not only that, but we are also to speak as well. This is the hard part. We're to speak. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 17 tells us this. Apostle Paul writes into a church in Rome, and he says this. He said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go to tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not, not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Then he says this. So faith, faith in God, faith in Christ, comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. So faith comes from hearing. And what they hear is the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, there's a false theology out there. That says this, my lifestyle will lead other people to Christ. My lifestyle will lead other people to Christ. We say this, we say, well, I'm a good person. And other people see that I'm a good person. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't take drugs, I don't curse a lot. And uh, I have morals, I serve in church, I, I, I give 
to church. I, 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 uh, uh, I give him myself. I give him my time. You know, I, I, I pray in a restaurant before I have some food. Other people can see through me that there is a Christ. You know, that's actually false. And that is wrong. It's a wrong theology to think of. If your lifestyle is godly and holy, as the Bible tells us it really should be, then it may make people curious about your lifestyle, but it alone, your lifestyle alone, will not lead others to Christ. Your lifestyle alone will not lead others to Christ. For someone to find Christ, find faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they have to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. Faith does not come by observing others. But faith comes from hearing. And what is the good news of Jesus Christ? In your life, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's your story. It's your story. Hearing about your faith. Hearing about what God has done in your life. What God is still doing in your life. Your lifestyle will give credibility to your story. But it won't save people alone. You have to speak. And I urge you today, start telling your story. Start telling your story. And then finally this morning, you need to be ready. You need to be ready. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us this. It says, Instead, you must worship, uh, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. It says if someone asks about your life, about your faith, then always be ready to explain it. So Peter tells us, be prepared to give an account if someone asks you about your Christian faith. This means we need to understand what God has done in our lives and be prepared to tell that story. It doesn't mean that we go up to everybody, hey, hear my story. You know, hey, sit down for a moment. Let me tell you my story because it's like a little intrusive. But if someone asks about your faith or someone asks about faith in God, be prepared to give an account. Be prepared to tell your story. I'm not saying that we need to be all theological about it. I'm not saying that we need to understand everything because let's be honest, we don't understand everything. We'll probably never understand everything. However, we need to be clear about telling our story, a story that was once tragic, and now it's turned into redemption. And if you walk into work tomorrow morning, if you walk into the grocery store tomorrow morning, if someone calls you tomorrow morning and you pick up the phone and they ask you about your faith, they say, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about what's going on in your life. What would you say? Would you be ready? Would you be ready to tell them? What is your story? Even though we're on a journey to the place, to the same place that is heaven, and it's only through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus that we are going there, my story is very different to your story. And I ask you today, what has Jesus saved you from? 
What has Jesus delivered you from? What storm has Jesus brought you out of? What change has Jesus done in your life? For some of you, Jesus has saved you from an addiction. Others, Jesus has saved you from doubt and unbelief. For some, Jesus has saved you from depression. Others, Jesus has delivered you from pornography. Some, Jesus has brought you out of the storm of losing a loved one, of loss in your life. Others, Jesus has brought you out of the storm of dealing with a rebellious child. For some, Jesus has changed your life where your marriage is now as strong as a rock, where one time it was about to be torn and broken apart. For some of you, Jesus has changed your life because this life was all about you. You were this consumer who just wanted everything to be about me. And now you are a person who is a serving person and you are selfless in your attitude and you want to help others. Your story is who you are. And people who are determined to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ can't help but tell their story. Your story from your lips is much more authentic than anyone else's lips. And as we close today, I want to share a little bit of my story with you. My wife and myself, we've been married nine years, just nearly nine years. And from the moment that we got married, my wife's one desire above everything else was to have a baby. She loves kids. You see her over in the kids' area, and she loves kids like anybody else, like nobody else. So we started to, you know, try for children four months after we got married. She was 30 at the time. She didn't want to be in her late 30s or 40s having children. We didn't want to be those old parents where the kids were saying, yeah, that's my grandparents, but really we were the parents. And so we started having, try, trying to have children. And over the first couple of years, it did, not, it did not happen. We were busy. You know, we were on staff at a, a growing church. And we, 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 we just weren't concerned about it. We moved to Maryland, and we talked about it a little bit more. And my wife started to say to me, say, hey, how about we try to see a doctor? to see if he can help us. And me being the powerful guy, I was like, no, we're not going to do that because I didn't want to think that, you know, it could have been my fault, which was selfish of me. But we went through this. And so we went through quite a few years of pain. We would hear people, God's going to give you children. God's going to give you children. We would hear it all the time. And we believed that God would give us children. And about this time last year, we sat down. We really had a heart-to-heart in our marriage. We really kind of took stock of where we were in our marriage. And we decided that we would go through fertility treatment. And so, um, you know, as I was the one who didn't want to do it before, it was my job to find a fertility doctor. So that was fun. And so we went, uh, to, uh, uh, to, we, we went to this fertility doctor. And uh, they were great. They were the nicest people ever. And for the last year, we've been going through fertility treatments. And we've been through all these different, um, uh, these different treatments that, 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 you know, there is today. And um, nothing happened. Nothing was working. Really, there was nothing wrong with both of us. It just wasn't working. And Raquel went through some procedures, some different things, went through many doctor's appointments. And it was like she was there like three or four times a week. We had tons of injections. I had to give her injections, which was not fun at all. I had to make sure she was a good, in a good mood while I gave her the injections. And, and, and so we went through all this stuff. 
And then in February of this year, just about a month ago, we went through the final process of our fertility treatment. And it's a process called IVF where they take, I'm not going to go into detail, but anyway. And, uh, but our fertility doctors basically said, you guys have got rock star embryos, it's going to work. And so they put these three little embryos in Raquel. And we believed it. I mean, honestly, I was just like, I had so much faith that we were going to have a child. And about a month ago, Raquel got a phone call. And the phone call was this. The nurse said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And at that moment, we realized that that was it. There was no more. No more that the doctors could do. No more that medicine could do to help us for our dream to have a child. And we went through this process, and it's been a painful, painful, painful process. And the reason I'm telling you this today is because of this. We came to the conclusion, and we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we feel that people need to hear our story. And, we, and, and Raquel and myself, we've told some people, some different ones, who have gone through hard times in their life, and it's really, I know, lifted them. Because this is why I need, think people need to hear the story, is because it's a tragedy. Let's be honest, there's some awful parents out there. And you ask the question, why not us? Why not us? There's some awful parents out there and people who would know, we would know that we would take, bring a child up well, do not have children. It's a tragedy. But yet, you know what? God is bringing redemption out of that tragedy. And I can't wait to see over the next few years what God is going to do to bring redemption out of that tragedy because that story is an awesome story. Not because God has not given us a child. And like, whoa, well, thank you, God. Not because of that, because our faith is staying as strong as ever. In fact, our faith in God is stronger now than it was two months ago. You know why? Because I realize that Our faith in God is not about what God gives us. It's about trusting in God no matter what. And Job said, he said, he said, you know, even though God slay me, I will still trust him. Even though God is doing all this to me, he says, I know that my redeemer lives. And, and, And I've realized in our lives that this story needs to be told because there are people who are turning their back on God because they think God is not loving them. God is not looking after them. God does not care for them. That is not true. And so Raquel decided that she wanted to share this story with the world. And that was hard for her because, you know, she was very private. Didn't want anyone to know that we were going through this. And so she's just created this new blog in the last month called chickaflare.com. And it's a fun blog with all, the, all these uh, different things, all her creative stuff. But it's basically to tell our story. So that people can see that there is hope in tragedy. And, and you, you guys are the first people who know about this. So, you know, people have seen that. She's posted a blog on Facebook the last couple of weeks. But last night she posted her story. And I want you guys, just as our family, our church family, to be the first to go and read that story. And she goes into a lot more depth about it. She hasn't finished all, what, all, all the stuff. That, uh, that we were, we were talking about and we, we want to share. But you'll start to see that as pastors, we go through tough and hard times as well. And we go through tragedy. 
We go through moments of doubt when we re- do we really believe in this God that we're serving? Do we really believe that God cares for me? And you'll see that even us, we go through tragedy, but God brings redemption through that tragedy. And that's something that Raquel's done. She, you know, she's not going to go and just shout it from the rooftops, hey, you know, we don't have children. But she wanted to share that, and that was an avenue for her to share her story and our story. And I challenge each and every one of you, how are you going to share your story? How are you going to share what God has done in your life? How God, when you were going through the toughest times in your life, when you were bound by sin, when you were on the road to hell, and God just plucked you up, and he gave you hope, and he gave you redemption, and he, and he gave you a path to righteousness. He gave you a, a, a word, or he comforted you, and he wrapped his arms around you, and he lifted you out of that place. You know, the, the, the psalmist says that he lifts me out of the miry clay, the, the sinking sand, and he places my feet on a rock. How are you going to tell your story so this world can see that there is a God who specializes in taking tragic stories and turning them into redemption? And if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, then you need to tell the world your story. Like the woman at the well. She told a village her story, and a village turned to Jesus. How about if us at Generation Church start telling the world what God has done in our lives? Get rid of the pride of, man, I just don't want to share that stuff. Just be authentic and real. This is what happened to me, and this is what God did. Imagine what would happen to this community out there. I tell you what would happen. They would find hope and life in Jesus Christ. And that is ultimately what we're here for. So being a follower of Jesus Christ is being a storyteller. Let's bow our heads in prayer.